Hello, friends. Welcome back. This is Heavy Typing. I'm Frank Hagen. The last three episodes, we've been listening to my novel, Marked for Harm. I thought we'd take a little break and have a bonus episode. Today, we're going to be reading my story, A Castle Under Siege. Bao Pi found the book curious and could not stop thinking about it. Its glorious pages, aged crisp and golden with the aroma of antiquity. They had the tactile stickiness of dust and oils breaking down over time. When he touched the pages, he thought about those who touched it before him. It was a leather-bound tome of some heft, with heavy pages inscribed with cryptic, indecipherable lettering and wondrous, deeply colored illustrations that held his brain hostage preventing him from focusing on other things, even penetrating his sleep. How such a book wound up in the basement of his recently acquired property, an old school building, was not known nor conceivable to him. He did plan to ask the old librarian who now worked at the new schoolhouse across town. The old schoolhouse where Baupi now lived was functional in design, square in shape, Pale brick exterior, cement block walls, and cement floors. The building had been vacant for many years before Baupi had purchased it, but it was mostly empty and certainly easy to clean. He had made the purchase partly because he could not stand to see it demolished, and also with the intention of renovating it into a multi-purpose arts facility for painting, music, dancing, and yoga. He wanted it to continue to serve the citizens of this small town. But all of his planning had more or less been postponed after discovering the book, with the obsessive itch presenting itself, demanding his attention. Where was this splendid medieval castle depicted upon the pages of this book? Did it exist in reality or merely in the mind of the artist? What would that even mean? Did it not leap out and now exist within himself like a mental virus? During the night, Go back to sleep was his mantra, but he was almost always awake. He was too awake. My brain is inflamed, he said, explaining to his mother, whom he phoned once a week, late Saturday evenings. With the time difference, that made it Sunday morning for her. She was a flower of a person and did not bother to know the details, rather cautioning him to abandon obsession. You should find a good woman and get married. It isn't too late, she would implore him with a quiet, calm voice. She had the habit of speaking as if half asleep. When he spoke to her over the phone, he liked to imagine her lounging on a cloud, floating high in the sky. He always felt like he was taking her away from the important work of doing nothing, when in fact, she was industrious in her work and kept busy with many tasks that would be considered hard labor by his current neighbors. But the scenes which were static on the paper of this book moved in his mind like a movie. He saw the horrible, fiery siege in three dimensions, and the racket of the battle almost hurt his ears when he was fully lost within it. Huge sections of the walls crashed into the damp earth around the castle, screams from infantry and peasants alike. He was not the sort of man to find himself sitting about in fantastical revelry, and yet he could not help himself. He wondered if he would be too scared to act if we were to live through such a skirmish for real. 
The heroes of this time and place, he told himself, would not stop to ask these kinds of questions. Doubt seems to be an illness of modern convenience, he suggested, taking detailed notes as these thoughts occurred to him. Several of the illustrations indicated a raging fire within the damaged ruins of the castle. He recalled learning that during medieval battles, pig fat was often set afire and poured over enemies as it burned hot enough to melt armor and cook the warriors within. The fact that the text of the tome was so strange and so specific, so delicately and precisely inked, interested him as well. He came to the conclusion more than several times that this must be an elaborate form of gibberish. The book must be some facsimile, a forgery of fantasy. Why let his mind become agitated to this point? Perhaps this book was, after all, a modern contrivance left behind by a student who had outgrown his toys. It was most likely, and here he was, an adult, overtaken with its mystery. But he would take it to the old librarian and see, anyway, wouldn't he? What harm could come from that? But he had yet to do so, even though months had gone by, and many chances to do so had come and gone. One reason he procrastinated was because he had had a vivid nightmare when he had fallen asleep attempting to study the book during a thunderstorm. The old empty building was like an impenetrable bunker, especially down in the basement. He could see the rain and lightning through small rectangular windows. The thunder resonated and rumbled away. The dark sky was sedating, dry and safe, wrapped in a soft woven blanket. He immersed himself deeper into the secrets of the strange illuminated text. Surely he could make sense of it all. A soft white beam of light shone onto the pages from his lamp like a spotlight onto a stage in a darkened theater. Lulled into a sleep-deprived slumber, his head lowered onto his chest, and he floated away into a deep dream. Bleak light from behind the portcullis led him over the splintered drawbridge. Below his deft footwork was the black waters of the moat. As he entered through the outer curtain, watching the arrow loops and murder holes all around him, he was filled with intense fear, although he appeared to be alone. The ward within was decimated. Shards of wood, broken blocks of stone, twisted metal, all soaked with blood. He wanted to be gone, but he was invited to move further by some quest he could not understand. He moved lightly and swiftly, as if levitating, past horrible casualties, traveling by the bailey and moving through the chemise into the keep proper, where he ascended a wide stair of marble, making several turns. Exquisite artwork hung on the walls along with carpets of impossible fractal patterns. Inside rooms which he did not enter were more bodies slaughtered. Finally, he entered a grand library the walls of which seemed to go up into the night sky, books filling the shelves all the way up into the heavens. He thumbed the spines of these ancient bound pages, no words conveying any sense to Balpi. Even this place where knowledge was compressed so densely was not exempt from violence. He felt sorrow in his heart. If peace were possible, would not the path possibly be found within these pages? Should such a place not be sacred? 
but he was supposing that even this was subjective when he felt his spine grow cold. He was floating three levels up from the floor, searching a third row of shelves, and behind him was a strange and horrible presence. Bao Pi turned his head, letting his body follow. There in the center of the room was a ghastly demon, all bone, wearing a long flowing black gown. The lower jawbone of its face moved down, creating a vacuum of black space into which color began to spiral, peeling off of the books and the hardware of the shelving. Bao Pi held out his own hands and watched the pinkness of his skin turn white and wither. His flesh fell away with tremendous pain, leaving his skeleton surrounded by a golden light, which the beast raised and moved remotely with its boned fingers. Bao Pi began to feel himself fading. He was dying. This was what it was like after all, he thought, afraid. He awoke covered in a cold, clammy sweat and breathed deeply as if he had been suffocated. He found his glasses and placed them back onto his face and got up to find water in the old cafeteria. Gone were the long tables and chairs where children enjoyed their lunches, laughing. Left behind were the fluorescent lights high on the ceiling along with an old refrigerator and a rusting paint-chipped deep freezer. He had to put his head inside the refrigerator to feel the cold air before fetching his thermos of water. From that day, he found himself unwilling to visit the librarian, but he would, he promised himself. Why would I lie to myself, he asked aloud many times. Bao Pi, while laying awake on many an evening, would also confess to himself that his fear that the book is meaningless had become his biggest obstacle. The potential for shame was too vast to allow, yet he could not help himself. He wondered if the old schoolhouse would not benefit from fortification and made extensive drafts for these improvements using a roll of discarded continuous green bar paper that he had stretched across his drafting table. He had recovered numerous pencils from the school's many rooms, which he kept in a mason jar, and a wall-mount pencil sharpener, which he installed next to the table. He had begun to forget the blueness of the clear sky, spending more and more time within the walls of his new project, but he did still go outside from time to time to care for the yard and to restock food. The property was one and two-thirds acres, the building taking up two-thirds itself. The other acre had a small wood upon it with a shaded center of worn, flat dirt where generations of children had run in circles laughing, teasing each other. There was another area where rusty swings still stood. He sometimes sat on the black rubber seats and swung gently as it was his responsibility to keep them maintained. He sometimes felt stupid when passers-by walking with their dogs or pushing their strollers, would wave or nod to him. He assumed they took him for a deficient, indigent, or both. If they ever called the police on him, he would be mortified. The remainder of the property was rolling grass, but there were bushes growing along the walls as well as around the old, unused main entrance stairs. Weekly, he raked, mowed, and trimmed. He kept his small Toyota on the old blacktop where children would play ball games. He took care to watch the blacktop for cracks that would need mending. But this weekly effort 
had become bi-weekly, and he was not sure, but believed three weeks or longer had gone by since he last went through these chores. Going to the grocery store was almost unbearable for Balpi. The bright lights and the insidious music were just too intense, but he found a 24-hour market and went late in the evening when most people were home and asleep. He had whittled his list down to the most sparse necessities to make this a quick trip. Regardless of all this, he did not ever receive visitors, which is why he was quite concerned on a Thursday morning when he heard pounding on the side door. Balpi had been sitting cross-legged on the floor of a second-floor classroom, peeling the skin of an orange, having spent the morning sweeping and dusting the light boxes when he was roused from his quiet contemplation. He placed the half-peeled orange on the windowsill and peered down. A woman with long white hair stood below, waiting at the door. He turned a crank to let the window out and called down. Hello, he said, his voice unexpectedly hoarse from not speaking so much lately. The woman looked up, shading her watery eyes with a bony hand. Hello up there, she replied. Her voice was stronger than Bao Pee's, though she was certainly elderly. I want to come inside, she said. Bao Pee did not know what to do for some reason. He was raised to greet strangers amiably, to invite them in with an open heart. But he did not want to do that. He felt selfish and afraid at the same time. He had literally nothing to steal other than the book and his life, both of which he intensely feared losing. I see, he said in return. I do not know, he said, honestly. Thinking of an excuse, he said, we are working inside. It is potentially unsafe. He was sure of the last part, at least. He could see that the woman had sunspots on her pale skin her hair and her skin were almost the same shade and the spots were dark red. He could see her blue-green veins through almost translucent flesh, thin red lips and a wrinkled neck. She had a slim, wasted figure over which she wore a long black dress cinched high below the sternum. One of her eyes was bloodshot, a shade of orange. She wore silver rings, but none were wedding bands. Finally, there was a silver pendant hanging around her neck. It draped down to the middle of her chest. I have been sent by invitation of the convocation. I must come inside. It is imperative. Balpi did not quite catch the woman's words. Who? Who sent you? The commission. Come open the door, she said, both correcting herself and with less patience. I know of no commission, madam, Balpi stated hoping she would go away. We are not required to explain. Neither will we volunteer such information at this time. I will not ask again. I understand, but I cannot open the door, madam, Bao P explained. Everything is in its order. I have paid my taxes, and this is my property. I ask you to please leave me in peace. Without thinking, and immediately regretting it, he added, I will phone the police. The woman then abruptly began to walk around to the southern side of the building, where the main entrance steps were located. He saw her turn the corner and disappear from view. Grabbing his orange, Bao Pi scrambled into the hallway and into the classroom on his left. 
Peering down from the window, he did not see the woman. He ran down the hall, classroom to classroom, and looking down from the windows, failed to find the woman again. Thinking she must have gone by some out-of-view path, he was concluding that the matter was settled when he remembered that the window from which he had conversed with the woman was still open and raced to close it. Of course, he reminded himself that the woman was unlikely to have scaled the wall. The idea made the hair on his arms stand up. Still, he cranked the window closed, turning it counterclockwise. The peel of his orange was smudged black and rubbed with ash-like dust, probably from the dirty windowsill, and Bao P decided it was unfit to eat. He threw it into the bin he was sweeping debris into and looked around himself, unable to focus his mind. What did this woman want? Who was this commission and what did they want with him? But before these thoughts could form a heartbeat within his mind, he heard the strange muffled sound of a bird squawk from somewhere inside of the old schoolhouse. No, he said to himself, disturbed. Please, no. It must have come in the window just now. Balpeed hurried himself, rushing out to the stairwell and standing quietly, not allowing himself to breathe. A gurgling croak rose up, rebounding off of the concrete walls. Down, he mumbled to himself, the book. He darted downward, leaping two and three steps at a time, falling and landing hard on his palms and knees several times, but there was no time to register the pain. He did not bother to stop on the first floor, rushing directly to his study in the basement. The albino bird stood upon the closed tome, its talons digging into the already aged and damaged leather cover. A pink eye turned toward the man. It pecked at the book with its beak furiously. With a high-pitched cry, Bao Pi lurched upon the bird without strategy. The raven pierced his hand with its sharp beak, but he grabbed the bird with a mother's rage, pulling it away. Still, the raven hooked its claws into the leather, lifting the book into the air. To his horror, Bao Pi saw a single, panicked eye open upon its cover. A shining orange iris, a nearly glowing ring around its dilated pupil. Suddenly, Bao Pi found himself within the pages, moving through the room haphazardly and staring at a middle-aged man. This man, who he knew to be himself, thrashed about, white plumes flying from the bird with which he was embattled. Blood ran down the man's face and arms where the white raven had pierced and slashed him. He was listening to himself shriek. With a deafening bang, the bird popped. Golden light like a flash of lightning momentarily revealed the corners and cracks of the room. Bao Pi set himself upon the floor, crying like a baby. Footfalls rang off the steps out in the hallway as someone fled up the stairs. Bao Pi managed to get to his feet and run to the book itself laying upon the cold, smooth floor as well. It lay with its pages open, but closing it, he saw an empty socket, not unlike a deep burn, upon its center where the eye had been. He was filled with terror. Give the book to them, he thought. Why stand in their way? But he could not. It was his, even if its secrets were unknowable to him. He held the book under his arm despite its weight.
found a rough wooden post which she carried like a club and limped up the stairs. The side door was swung wide open. Balpi had never felt so precarious and unsafe in his whole life. Paranoia opened his ears, tuned his eyes, and pulled on the roots of his skin's hairs. On edge, he went to the door, quickly looked about and pulled it closed. He made a plan. First, he would do a thorough search of the building. Every closet, every corner, the ductwork, everything would need to be inspected and sealed. Secondly, he would need to secure the doors and windows. This is a defense I cannot sustain, he told himself. Even if I can keep them out, I will starve to death. Give them the book. During his search of the building, he assembled as many boards as he could find, loose screws, nails, and some length of chain, as well as a few rolls of duct tape. His wounds hurt terribly, reminding him that they needed care. He sealed the windows with duct tape and secured the doors with parallel boards, using lengths of chain to prevent them from swinging open. In a large first-floor bathroom, he used the line of sinks to clean his wounds, which he covered with paper towels and wrapped in duct tape. He knew he needed medical attention, but that would not be possible. All through the evening and the night, he went through the building, the book with him always, hammering the remaining boards across windows and breaking the mechanisms on their cranks. He hung the biggest knife from his kitchen on a belt loop using twine and evaluated his food stores. You will die here, Balpi, he told himself with certainty. What is the sense of that, he asked himself. In the morning, with a sigh, he sat down at his table, turned on his lamp, opened the book, and caressed the pages with his fingertips.